Good afternoon, and how are you? And it better be blessed. I know I am uh, 30 seconds early, but they leave it on too long anyway, so I always uh, try to get this so people don't have to wait too long. But there it's 3 p.m. at this very moment, and it is February 23rd, 2023, and you are with uh, Father Larry Richards on Anchored in Hope. And today we're going to focus on marriage, and uh, then we'll take uh, your questions after that. So first thing to do, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Great God of love and great God of mercy, we thank you for the gift of marriage and the family. It is through the gift of marriage and the family that you've given us life, that you Help us to be church, that you first bring us to knowledge of you. Father, we beg you through the gift of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to help us to always appreciate our families and to truly know what the love of a husband and wife is made for, what you created us for. We beg you these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, there you go. I'm sorry I'm getting over a cold, by God's grace. Um, tomorrow, I, uh, well, tonight, I have a meeting at 7 o'clock, which I hate, because I have to then drive to Pittsburgh to get a hotel, and then I board my plane tomorrow morning at 5.20 a.m., which means I'll have to get to the airport about 4.20 a.m., and um, so I won't get much sleep tonight. And I'm flying to Houston, Texas, and won't be there very long because then when I get to Houston, I have a two-hour drive to Victoria, Texas, and I will be there on Saturday for the men's conference. So I have been to Texas a lot, and I'll be coming back to Texas in oh, about two or three weeks for, to Sherman, Texas, north of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, or northwest, I think. I'm not sure, but it's about an hour outside of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, and there I'll be doing a parish mission. So this will be my third or fourth time in Texas this year. Um, every time I go to Phoenix, of course, my father is buried in Katy right outside. Um, but I don't, I don't even think I'll have a chance to see him because I get down there tomorrow, God willing, pick up my rental car, drive down to the thing, give a talk on Saturday morning, get back in the rental car, drive back up, and then uh, it's a long flight home because I have to go through um, Atlanta on um, on Saturday night, and then I come back. Uh, I'll get a hotel about twelve thirty Saturday night a.m., and then I'll sleep a few hours, and I wake up early, and then I drive up to Erie to my parish here, and I'll say the ten o'clock mass, and um, spend some time with my dog, and then the the, um, the next morning I'll have mass at seven a.m., and then I'm going to Cincinnati. And so those of you in the Cincinnati and the Kentucky area, encourage you to come. I will be in Cincinnati down at Victoria, Texas. In Victoria, I will be at Holy Family Parish in Victoria. And then on Monday, I will be at St. Cecilia's uh, Catholic Church in Cincinnati. Cecilia, you're breaking my heart. I'm sorry, that's another thing. It's uh, Madison Road, 3105 Madison Road, Cincinnati, St. Cecilia's Church. So if any of you are in that area, come on by and say hi. It'll be every night from, uh, uh, I don't know if it's 6.30 or 7 here. Seven to nine every night. So I encourage you to come, and we will see you there. And God willing, I'll do my podcast next week on Holy Orders um, from Cincinnati. Okay? So today I wanted to focus on, again, where we've been focusing on sacraments. And last week we dealt with the Eucharist, and before that, confirmation, and before that, uh, uh, confession, and before that, baptism. And so I think that's the order I did it in. Anyway... But today we want to focus on the sacrament of marriage. And again, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ that gives grace. Huh? And so the outward sign um, of sacrament of um, marriage 
Again, it'd be the vials and consummation. You all know what consummation is. I don't want to go into the details, but that's part of it. Uh, to be married, uh, a sacramental marriage needs to be a consummated marriage. Huh? It brings the vows of two flesh become one. And uh, so that's the outward sign. It's a very visible sign. Ensued by Christ, and it comes from uh, John, the wedding feast, of, uh, wedding feast of Cana and John chapter 2, and how Jesus was present there. Um, and the grace it gives is one flesh. The two shall become one. And so marriage, again, is something that it's one of the greatest gifts God has given us. Huh? When a priest is told and we take a vow of celibacy, it's not because marriage is bad. Some people think, and the theology went that way for a while. It was a very clerical theology that, you know, to be married, I mean, to be a celibate was better than to be married. That's not true. Because you're called to be whatever God calls you to be. So, you know, you don't sit there and say, oh, this one's better. Shut up. Those people had even thought about that kind of reality. It was very much, look how better we are than everybody else. And, of course, it was priests and that and who made that theology. But the, the whole purpose in life is to do God's holy will, correct? And so if that's the whole purpose in life, to do God's holy will, then what is best for you and the only thing for you is to do the will of God. And so for 90%, 98% of the world, that is to be married. Huh? And again, marriage is such a beautiful gift because when a person is married and when they have uh, intimacy, sexual intimacy, they become like God. They get to bring eternal life to this earth. Huh? Remember the very first thing God ever created, what God ever commanded was increase and multiply. So uh, have sex for children. And uh, when two people go and give up their lives, that's going to be one of the greatest things ever. And so when we get to this, and so I'm, I'm saying all this because if, if you're married, don't ever sit there and think you're a second-class citizen. John Paul II was so clear about that. He made sure that he made uh, married couples saints to show the world that you can be married and be a saint. Your, your call if you're married is still to be a saint. Again, when a priest takes a vow of celibacy, it's a true martyrdom. It's a discipline because God created us to be one, and so this is our way of giving up our life for Christ. You know, and again, it's not better. It's what God has called me. I always come back to the, at the end of John when uh, Peter, is walking with, uh, Peter is walking with Jesus, and uh, Peter looks at him because they see uh, St. John there, and he says, what about him? What about him? Peter asked Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what business of that is yours? Your job is to follow me. So when it comes to all our vocations, God calls me to follow him in a certain way. He calls you to follow him in a certain way. You can be married. You can be single. You can be a priest. You can be uh, religious. You can be a deacon. Um, they're all vocations. And it's called to be what God calls you to be. Now, whenever I do a parish mission, which I'll do this week, the second night is the night of uh, Mass, and it's the night of uh, the family. So we, I do a whole thing about Mass and the, the importance of Mass, and then we talk about family. And we talk about what love is. And love, of course, is giving away your life for somebody else. Huh? So when a husband and wife come together, they are saying to one another, I give up my life for you. huh?" And even in a sexual act, that is a very explicit sign of the life that is given. That's why anything outside of the sacrament becomes a lie. Because the sacrament, what that intimate uh, intimacy says is that I have given my life for you. So if you truly haven't given your life for the other, be it psychologically, uh, so uh, spiritually, socially, um, in the presence of God and man, then you really haven't given your life yet. You're just giving and looking for pleasure, or you're trying to show love, but you don't want to give everything for it. That's even when it comes to contraception, artificial contraception. It's saying, I don't want to give my life completely for you. I want to 
stop it. I want to stop any kind of fruit from this, and I will do artificial means to do it. I'll go against what God created us for so I can only have my selfish act. Huh? Every act of intimacy needs to be open to love and to life. Huh? And so whenever you sit there and say, no, I'm not open to love right now, which is rape, or life right now, uh, artificial birth control, then you're taking the power of God and you're saying, I'm going to do it my way. And so that's just the, the, the spirituality of the act that happens inside of marriage. But then we go deeper. And again, I always do this at, uh, when I do weddings and people, uh, and when I do weddings, of course, but also when I do parish missions. And we're going to go to Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to go to verse 21. Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And here's what it says. Be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it sets this up, okay? So it's being subordinate to one another. So this is the way Paul sets it up. And of course, Christ sets it up through the Holy Spirit in through Paul. Then it says in verse 22, and I always love this because people go crazy with it today, and I kind of enjoy it when I'm speaking it. Wives be should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself as the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives must be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Do you want to kill me yet? Oh, it gets better. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her. So this is where we begin, and so when I do it, like I do this at every wedding, and years ago I had uh, uh, a good friends of mine, I was marrying them down in uh, St. Augustine, Florida at the cathedral, and um, my, uh, one of my prep kids who was in the uh, secret service and his wife was in the, uh, also in the secret service, so a week before I went to do the wedding, he called me, he said, now Father, I just want you to know, that Hillary Clinton's going to be there because we were on her detail. And I won't say everything I said. But anyway, I says, listen, I am not going to change my style for anybody. And they says, no, 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 Father, we know that. We just didn't want you to be surprised. And I was very surprised how gracious she was, as a matter of fact, as an aside. But so as, as I do the wedding, as I do all my weddings, you know, the couple's up there on the, the sanctuary sitting next to each other in love, la, la, la. And then I always say to the girl, I say, uh, sweetheart, I usually use her name, but right now it'll be sweetheart. Uh, you've read the, you read the Bible every day, don't you? And I always get, yes, Father. And I say, you lie to a priest, you go to hell. No, Father. And I said, have you ever read the book of Ephesians? No, Father. I said, well, you know what it says about wives in the book of Ephesians? No, Father. Well, let me tell you. It says, wives, be subordinate to your husbands. And then you look at their face. Ooh. And then I always ask the question, do you think that's what it means? Now, again, I could not look at Hillary or her uh, secretary is next to her as I was saying this. But, you know, here I am. I said, do you think that's what it means? And I get, no, Father. And I go, yes, that's what it means. And I jump up and down. I go, yeah, every day for the rest of your life, when you wake up, you got to think, how can I serve my husband? How can I put his needs in front of mine? And all the women are sitting there, their heads spinning around, green throw up saying, die, Father, die. Another reason I hate the Catholic Church. How dare you say that? Some of the guys are saying, I like this guy. I ain't going to say anything. I think he's crazy if you're saying that, but I like him. You know, and some of the guys will say, oh, I don't think that was very nice. Anyway, so I know I'm going to get a stir, and that's the point. But if anyone knows me, you know I'm an equal opportunity offender so the other shoe is about to fall so when all the women are dying and all the guys are saying yeah i like this guy look at the guy the groom and i'll say son you read the bible every day don't you and i always get no father and i says well you know what it says in after ephesians don't you after it says wives be submissive to your husbands no father i said well let me tell you it says husbands love your wives 
as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Different translation than what I just read. I said, you know what that means, son? No, father. Means your life is over. Ha, ha, ha. Every day for the rest of your life, when you wake up, you got to think, how can I die for my wife? How can I put her needs in front of my own? You see, marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100%, 100%. So when you sit there and you get married, if you happen to have, uh, you know, use the unity candle, some parishes and priests don't like that. They say it's a hallmark edition. True or not true, I always allow people to use it because I think we can use the symbol. Because what happens when you use a unity candle? After you've taken your vows, you come up to the candle, and the two side candles, which ideally can be your baptismal candles, if you were baptized as a kid, you keep those candles and you use them if you get married to someone one day, and you use those two candles as your baptismal candles because that was the, the day you were given life, spiritual life. And then after you take your vows, you come up and, you know, the woman's on this side, the guy's on this side, and I'm usually in the middle if I'm doing the thing behind the, the, the candle. And then they both light the candle, uh, another with a wick or whatever. They light from their baptismal candles or whatever candle happens to be there. And together they light the big candle, and then they blow out the other two candles. Why? Because Jesus said, the two become one flesh. They are no longer two, therefore, but one. It's like I always say to my couples, I say, so you can never look at each other one day and say, I don't think I love you anymore. I'm sorry, you died. You died for me. That's why marriage, when you take the vows, or until death do us part. And it's a giving of one's life for the other. You know, when it says be subordinate, wives be subordinate to your husbands, that's only if your husband is subordinate to Christ because then he's seeking to do God's will. You don't have two people trying to find out God's will. Now you do, you pray about it, you should pray about it, honest to goodness. You know, you should sit there and we'll come to that in a second. But together, we're all doing God's will. So we're all subordinate to Christ. And then husbands are subordinate, and then their job is to die for them wives, which is wives, which is way beyond being subordinate. It's dying. And so what has to happen in marriage is that these two people are always more concerned about one another, the other, than they are about themselves. So like I tell the women, I says, your whole life for the rest of your life is to be always making sure that he's happy. And doing everything in your power to do that. Not just happy, but, you know, in God's will, uh, doing, having his needs met. And then I say to the men, your whole purpose in life is to make sure that she's happy doing God's will, that she is, all her needs are fulfilled. And if both of you are more concerned about the other than you are for each other, that's marriage. Whenever you start saying, what have you done for me? That's when marriage starts to die. Again, Paul uses the example of Christ on the cross who gave his life for us. So every woman is to give their life to, for their husbands. Every husband is to give their life for their uh, wives. And then God takes these two dead people and he resurrects them and he makes them one flesh. It's beautiful. You know, but again, it costs everything. Like today, if you go to daily mass, it says, no one can be my disciple unless you deny your very self, pick up your cross and follow me. So again, it takes your life to follow Jesus. It takes your life to uh, be married. And again, the main way that you experience Christ in the sacrament of marriage is through your spouse. Huh? And so again, I'd encourage you, those who are married, you got to sit there and learn to pray with one another. And I always talk, you know, I've been doing this, and I'm a celibate. I am still a virgin, going to be 63 next month, still a virgin. huh? And so they always say, how can you talk about this, Father? Because God's the one who created this. So we just don't let people, you know, try to fool around. We say, well, what does God say? How did God create this? Why did God create this? And so... It's a, it's a, it expresses physically what's happening spiritually. So that's why, I, again, I've told people forever, 
You want to have the best sex in your life, excuse me. And they'll say, well, uh, am I supposed to say yes, Father? Say, yes, that's what you want. Of course, it's part of the communication between two people. I say, so this is what you got to do. You pray before you have sexual intimacy. And then one guy was talking this, you know, to, uh, couples, I'm getting ready to get married. And uh, they all say, they would like, want to kill me. Like, oh, thanks, Father. And every couple I marry, I'm always saying, are you two having sex? I always ask very explicitly. And I've been doing this for, again, almost 33 years in two months. And uh, I never forget years ago, years ago, and I tell the story all the time, and they know I tell the story. I've been married for over 30 years, 33 years now. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, but they were both still in college, and I was doing, uh, you know, getting them ready spiritually for marriage. And so I said, are you two having sex? And uh, they sheepishly said, yes, Father. And I said, okay, it's six months into your wedding. I want you to stop. And then she says, thank you, Father. And he looked at me like, die, Father, die. <laughs> and I said, listen, if you two are constantly having sex before your marriage, then it's not going to be any big deal when you get married, is it? It's just going to be another night in the bed. Ooh. I said, you got to give away, and God will not honor that which is disobedient to him. So if you want your marriage truly be blessed, then do God's will. So here, go to confession, repent, and we're going to sit there, and uh, you be good for me. For, don't touch each other. And he says, okay, Father, and they both promised me. Oh, about a month into that, I get a, uh, I get a call, and it's at 1 o'clock in the morning. And or no, this is uh, another time before I get to the one o'clock in the morning one later. I get a call and it's from the girl and she says, Father, tell him no. I said, put him on the phone. No. And he says, thank you, Father. They lasted all six months. Can you imagine? They, it didn't matter where they came from. They repented. And then I always tell my couples, or I used to do it, I don't do it anymore, I'm getting older. Uh, but always as a joke, I'd say, now you know, which is theologically true, you're not married till you consummate. So after consummation, would you call me and give me what time it was so I can put in the book when you got married? <laughs> can you imagine? Again, I don't do that anymore. I've repented. But with this couple, after I did all this, and uh, I get a call at 1 o'clock in the morning the night of their, uh, after I married them, and I hear from the guy, I hear, Eureka! And he says, I says, uh, yeah, okay, I woke up. Eureka, he says. He says, Father, it's 1.22 in the morning, whatever time it was, and we just, got in, we just got done consummating, and we wanted you to know. I said, well, that didn't take very long. Not after six months it didn't, Father. You see, getting close to your couples, I'd always make it, like, funny. Like some of you are probably laughing, some of you are probably thinking, that was sick, Father. But it was that first of all, sex is created by God. We can talk about it. And we should. Not in a bad way, because the world makes sex pornographic. Sex is beautiful. Huh? If you ever listened to Dr. Scott Hahn years ago, before all the Pope stuff, but I still have great respect for the man. When he wrote about, he was talking about sex once, and he says, uh, sex isn't good. Campbell's soup is mm -mm good. Sex isn't great. Frosted Flakes is great. Sex is holy. Huh? And so when a husband and wife come together sexually, it's a holy act. And so I always say, and it's so creating a desire for intimacy. And any dog can have sex, but only human beings can share souls. And so I say to really do it and have a fantastic, intimate reality, pray before the sexual encounter. And one guy looked at me and he says, uh, Father, don't you think that'll kill the moment? And I says, if you think that'll kill the moment, you don't know what sex is and you don't know what prayer is. See, we try to keep our sexuality, and in marriage, we're talking explicitly in marriage here now, right? We try to keep that separate from God. And that's an insult to God. 
Remember, the first thing he commanded was to have sex for children. So always invite God into that. Because again, the way you, exp- the way you experience God, Jesus, is through your spouse. And so you invite God into the very act. And now the spiritual intimacy that's happening there is carried through through the physical intimacy, and that's the most intimate you could ever be with another human being. Huh? Again, years ago, one of my kids was in the Marines, and um, he's having sex with his fiance, and then he calls me about two months before the uh, wedding, and he says, uh, Father, I don't love her. I go, oh, you've been having sex with her all these years, and now you're saying you don't love her. See, it's a, it's a lie. The act is a lie. It's just a matter of using people for your own pleasure, before marriage anyway, and even in marriage for too many people. But I says, okay, well, you can't marry someone you don't love. So they broke up. Well, because he fell in love with somebody else, you know. And so he called me. He says, I got this other girl. And I said, okay. I says, so-and-so, I want you to promise me something. Okay, Father, what would you like? I don't want you to have sex with this girl. I want you to, next time you're uh, uh, tempted, I want you to ask her to pray with you, and I want you to pray with her. You got it? He goes, I said, do you promise me? I promise, Father. So here he goes. He takes her to a hotel because he's taking her back to, so she can fly out, and the two of them are getting ready to go for it. And then he remembers me. Ha! <laughs> Isn't that a great thought? And he goes, oh, I made this priest a promise. He said, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? And the two of them that night prayed with each other and did not have sex. And then he called me the next day and he says, Father, that was the most intimate I've ever been with anybody. Because true intimacy is the sharing of souls. People share bodies all the time. And no intimacy happens. But if you share your soul first and then carry that out physically in marriage with the union, it's the most solid reality. It's holy. It's good. Sex isn't, uh, it should never be unholy. It should always be in the presence of God, with the power of God, in God. And so, and then when two people do that, think about what happens. God blesses that union with eternal life. Huh? Your love becomes incarnate in another person. So your love becomes, takes bodily form, and you name that child Joe or Mary or Larry, 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 or whatever it is. And that's because two people who loved each other and gave their life for each other in that act produces eternal life. And it always got to be open to that, letting God be in charge of the marital act so that he can bring eternal life out of that. Think about how many people that refuse to let that be open to eternal life. All the people that God, or the people, of course, that get pregnant and then abort and kill that child, they decide they will be God. They make the decision. And that's just horrible. Now, it doesn't mean, again, when people hear me talk about this, they'll call or they'll ask one of the questions. Does that mean, Father, if I'm over childbearing age that I can't have uh, intimacy with my spouse? Of course not. You're always open, huh? Saint, uh, I mean, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah is in her 90s, and Abraham was late 90s or in hundreds in those days, and she was barren her whole life, and she had child. So, You always let the reality be open to whatever God wants. It's only when you artificially try to stop the act. Again, one kid came to me when I was at prep, and he says, Father, there was a mistake. I said, what's the mistake? He says, my girlfriend's pregnant. I said, oh, son, that's not a mistake. Everything happened the way it's supposed to. You two had intimacy, sexual intimacy, and a child was born. God bless that child. Huh? And so, again, when God tells us the way marriage should be, it isn't to hurt us. It's to help us to grow in holiness, true holiness, to help us to become like him who gives life. So one of the greatest gifts that God could ever give you 
would be for two of you, a husband and wife, a wife and a husband, to come together and bring forth fruit of children. Whoa. And so I can't do that, but I can bring spiritual children in the world. And those of you who uh, can't get married or never got married, God still wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to bear fruit of bringing people to eternal life. Huh? And so we got to make sure that we're always doing everything that we do. I didn't turn my phone off. Everything that we do, we do for his glory. And everything we do, we do in him to bring him glory. So always invite him into everything. Like um, oh, hopefully one day... Uh, uh, the big bishop in the United States who preached uh, Fulton Sheen, he says, marriage takes three. You always invite Christ into the marriage. Always invite Christ into every part and bear fruit for eternal life. And when you have your children, make sure those children know Jesus. And the best way to do that is you pray for them and you love them. You don't hit them over the head. The more you hit them over the head, they might stay Catholic for a while, but eventually they'll leave after they're no longer under your thumb. But if you constantly tell them about the love of God, you show them the love of God, the way you constantly take care of your spouse, then you're teaching them what it's like to be like Jesus, who gave his life for us. We're called to give our life for each other. And then once you have children, you know every day for the rest of your life, you give up your life for your children. The whole purpose of life is to give up our life every day for love of others. Some days we'll do fantastic. Some days we will not be fantastic. But we got to sit there and constantly get up again and say, Lord, Help me to be more concerned about others than I am about myself. Help me to give away my life every day for my spouse, to try everything, to let it be 100%, 100%, and give up my life for my children. And then God will give you eternal life. That's the promise. You got it? You get it? Are you going to live it? Made sure you know his love today and forever. Amen. So now we'll be open to questions. One of the things I just want to make sure I tell you, if you did not, if you watched my homily on Sunday, I talked about what to do for Lent, and it's on the app, and it's on YouTube, and it's on uh, Facebook, Instagram, it's on all of them. And I encourage you to make sure, if you haven't already done it, that, excuse me, it's on Twitter and different things. I encouraged everybody to make sure you get close to Jesus. Uh, this Lent. It's not about, you know, we listen, we read books on spirituality, talk about Jesus, and that's fine, but can we just do one Lent where we just focus on Jesus? And so what I told the people is I said, everybody should read the four Gospels for Lent. That's two chapters a day, and that's not much. And if you go to our website, um, St. Joe's, my parish website, stjoesbol.org, you can sit there and you can also go and right there and someone says they, they went there but they couldn't find it. I don't know how you didn't find it because as soon as you get to it, St. Joe's, B-O-L, my site. At the very top thing, as soon as you see this is whether it's online or your phone, Ash Wednesday Mass Schedule, which I now have to take off because I've done the whole, I do this. I can't get anybody to do this for me. It drives me insane. Anyway, so it says link to getting to know Jesus. So what I encourage people to do is I have this. If you click it there, even on your phone, it'll take you to it. And then it says getting to know Jesus, gospel readings for Lent 2023. And then it talks about, remember the whole point of praying through the four gospels this Lent is to get to know Jesus more intimately, the person of Jesus Christ. Before you begin each day, pray to the Holy Spirit and ask him to reveal to you Jesus in each chapter. Chapter. Get a blank journal and title it, Getting to Know Jesus. Every day, read the chapters of the Gospels and seek to know the person of Jesus more. Focus on Jesus for now, not other people. And what that means is that sometimes we'll sit there and we'll focus on the Magi, we'll focus on Mary, we'll focus on Joseph. All those things are fantastic. But for this Lent, just focus on Jesus. 
getting to know the person of Jesus. How does he respond to Mary? How does he respond to Joseph? Why does he do what he does? Why did he say what he say? What is Jesus teaching? Am I hearing this? Am I living this? Because it says, my sheep hear my voice. So when Jesus speaks, we should be listening. And so that's why, and so literally here, we go and I have for every day, today is Thursday, February 23rd, and you can, after you do the two readings, there's little check marks so you can know where you are and go through the whole thing. And on the back, there's the Lenten practices. There's an example about how to do it. So I did the first two chapters. And so for me, it talks about uh, why was Jesus born into his genealogy? That means, you know, where he came from, all the, um, there were whores in his family, Rahab. There were, uh, uh, murderers, adulterers, David, all these things are in his history, and he's born into it. Why? Because Jesus wanted to get into our mess, first thing. Second thing is to show it doesn't matter where we've been, only matters where we're going. All that dysfunction in the past of Jesus' uh, uh, human life meant nothing. Out of all this humanness, all this uh, dysfunction. God was born. Hmm. And then it talks about, uh, of course, one twenty-one, verse one, chapter one, verse twenty-one. Why was Jesus born? Why to save us from our sins? To save his people from his sins. He is named Emmanuel, which means he is with us. Am I with him? Is the question. So, what characteristic do you see from all those two chapters? For me, it was Jesus is humble. The God of the universe cannot contain, became a man and entered into our mess. And then I said, now make a prayer to Jesus at the end of it. So for mine was Jesus, make me like you. Help me to be humble. And that's a miracle if it ever happens all by itself, right? So I just encourage you to do that. You, it's only two days in. You can easily do it, even if you're watching this a week later. Just catch up. And again, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. How, what does Jesus say? Why, how does he act? Get to, to know the mind of God. Just focus on Jesus. Don't get caught up in those other things. You can do that later. Come back. It'd be fantastic. But for this study, just spend time with Jesus. Okay, so let's go. May a person going through the RCA program with every intention of becoming Catholic be invested in the Brown Scapular. Of course, anyone can be invested in the Brown Scapular. Go for it. That'd be fantastic when you ask Our Lady to protect you and consecrate yourself to her. Yes, you can do that. May a person, yes. Julie, to eat meat on other days, to eat meat on other days, and do I have to fast from any other food? Please, God, bless you. Uh, no, you only have to, fat, to abstain from meat on Fridays and Ash Wednesday, of course, and Good Friday. And on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, up to 58 years old, you have to fast. It's funny now, uh, under 58, I always sat there and went crazy over the fasting. And then after 58, I fast every day anyway. So it was like, really, I don't have to fast now at all. But like, anyway, such is life. Okay. Uh, good evening, Father and all. Hi, Harry. I am needing prayers for my family conversion and know that you and all your priests and current pope or bishops are in my prayers. God love you. You got it, Julie. Jenny, hi, Father. Do you prefer scriptural stations of the cross over the original version? Uh, no, I, I, myself personally, I like the, um, uh, the saints, the saint one, uh, the devotional one. The one I really like is, uh, uh, yeah, the... Um, Jesus way of the cross where you are you talk about you know how I how I continue to hurt Jesus today uh, every man's way of the cross or everyone's way of the cross I guess it is and so there's a little verse where Jesus speaks to us where we speak about uh, Jesus uh, being killed and falling and then there's a little prayer that I make to him and so that's the one I personally like the most Harry listen to your sermon today while writing shopping list for the paint shop. There you go. I had written Matt Satin, and then you said, pick up your gloss. <laughs> good job, Harry. Prayers for the bishops are always good. You got it. Chivalrous Jack. Hi, guys. Hi, Chivalrous Jack. Yes, okay. It is sad to think that the bishop in California was killed. It's very sad. Um, 
very sad to see that his housekeeper of 10 years, his, her husband's the one that killed him. And he used to say he walked, uh, that the man who killed him used to walk the bishop's dog too along with his wife. So it's very sad. Who knows why people snap? Who knows? But we pray for him also and the bishop. Uh, da, 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 da. Have you ever been to North Carolina? Yes, Jenny, I've been there a couple times at a couple different places. Um, I even did a parish mission there years ago. We had a fine time, but I don't know why people haven't. I'm supposed to be going down again uh, next year for a conference, but I haven't been invited to do a uh, um, uh, parish mission there in a long time. Again, if I've never been in your area for a parish mission, I do six a year. And so, like, for next year, there's openings. There's even one opening for the fall. And so, again, talk to your pastors about it. Some uh, pastors don't want it because it's too much. You know, it takes a lot to do that. But it's life-changing. I mean, unbelievable. When I was last week in um, Fernanan, Texas, people were fantastic. But many, many people came to Jesus. And that's the whole point, that a uh, parish mission, if it's not just this la-la stuff, will change your people's lives will change the life of the parish. It just will. Not because of me. God can use any jerk. But to have people to take eight hours of their day, of their week, and give it to Jesus is life-changing. And so I encourage you. Uh, get them to do it. Have them bring me down. Thanks for the recommendation for reading the Gospels. There you go, sunshine. I've struggled to figure start reading the Bible. It'll good. And what has turned out to be a very difficult week, I spilled a whole mug of coffee on my Divine Mercy Bible, which ruined it. Is it okay to throw it away? Uh, if it's, you should always burn the Bible, not throw it away. Okay. Artie Sam, Shalom Father, the guy seated in front was scrolling on his cell phone the whole time during Mass. It was distracting, but I tried so much to focus and concentrate. What is the best thing to do? Yes, I should, you should mind your own business because often, like I'll have my cell phone out when I'm praying in church because that's where my uh, office is. I don't use uh, the paper version anymore because I always have my cell phone, so I use it. There's also the mass there. They could be scrolling and going through mass, so unless you can read that. But either way, you should be focused on Jesus, not on the people around you. Uh, during Mass. Okay. What if a couple is unable to have children? Again, as long as you're open, and again, you have spiritual life, okay? Like Sarah and Abraham, by principle, they could Ephesians 5.91. There you go. Uh, dear Father, yes, you are right in this subject. Sex is more important, was I think when I was young, and this has led me to have an abortion with my selfish act. Okay, but what you got to do is repent of it, name your son or daughter, reach into heaven, ask God if he gave you a boy or girl, name your son or daughter, and reach into heaven and ask God's mercy. If not, you're always living in the past. Your child is alive and sees the face of God. So, and if you reach into heaven and ask them by name for forgiveness, if you've been to confession, of course, then when you die, they're going to stand right next to you. The devil, again, will keep you focused on that forever to rob you of joy and rob you of doing God's will in the future because he'll just keep you focused on the sins you have done. You need to repent and move on and get to know your child as they are now, seeing the face of God in heaven. There you go. We're all sinners. He is not a tame lion. In your view, who were, who were some of the best popes in history and some of, some of the worst popes in history? Every single pope that God put in there, God put in for a reason. The worst popes, of course, were, you know, we've never had a heretic as a pope. Uh, and again, someone like uh, um, Tim Staples have went through the history of that and shown that why that isn't so. Because God said that there would, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the Borgia popes were horrible people. You know, they never brought heresy. But like Lucretia Borgia, was the Pope's daughter, and he prostituted her out so he could become Pope. What's with that? See, when people talk about, like, Francis today, and they'll sit there and say something about, you know, we've had bad Popes in the future, in the past. We've had a lot of bad Popes. Not a lot, but 
They were all bad because of morality. They were immoral. Francis isn't immoral. Francis is one of the, to me, again, when Francis was made Pope, I thought, and people have went crazy with me when I said this online, or my, one of my talks a couple whiles ago, that to me, it was finally someone like Jesus. Because I don't see Jesus running around wearing capes and wearing big things. I see Jesus taking care of the poor. Because again, that's why I want everybody to read the scriptures. What kind of person is Jesus? So once we get to know Jesus, then we got to know this is what a priest is supposed to be like. This is what a bishop's supposed to be like. This is what the Pope's supposed to be like. So again, they're not just have this clericalism, look how great we are and look how good. And so for me, when he finally, when he was just made Pope only about a week, and then he had uh, Holy Thursday, and instead of doing and washing all the cardinals' feet so they could cry and say, oh, look at the Pope's washing my feet, he went to prison. And he washed the feet of prisoners, one being a Muslim girl. And that's when people start going nuts. But I promise you, that's exactly what Jesus Christ would do. And when we get into the Gospels and we read the Gospels, instead of all the pundits on TV and all these people on the internet to go crazy, then we know that this is the reality. We're not fighting for all this other garbage that's out there. I just, I'm more and more convinced that we need Jesus to be the Pope. We need Jesus to be the bishops. We need Jesus to be priests. And again, when you look at Jesus' life, he wasn't always gentle. But the people he wasn't gentle to were the people who thought they were holy. The people who were holy, quote unquote, were the ones who wanted to kill him. The ones that fought for the law were the ones that hated Jesus the most. Because Jesus came and changed the law. As he said, it used to be said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What I say to you is love your enemies. <gasps> it drove them crazy. And so, again, I loved Benedict. I loved John Paul. John Paul was my hero. And I love Francis. Why? Because I believe God when he says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is not a liar, and that's why I believe what I believe. And people all over sit there and say, I, Father, you know, gosh, I've heard some. Just because of that very thing, I've heard horrible, horrible things people have said to me online. Horrible things. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, you can always tell a person who truly knows God because they become more loving, period. Not more judging. Jesus says, all people know you're my disciples because you love one another. This is how all people know you're my disciples, because you love one another. John chapter 13, verse 35. So, if we become more loving, then we're disciples. If we become more judgmental, then we're part of the accuser. Because what does the devil do in the book of Revelation? Night and day, he accuses us. He's called the accuser. Do we accuse others? We become like the devil. We become the accuser instead of the comforter or the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Huh? The paraclete. Anyway, so that's always my take. And uh, so, do, 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 do. What about uh, secular marriage? But the couple converted and want God's blessing. Of course, you get the, uh, a secular marriage. In the Catholic Church, two Catholics must uh, be married in the church. Every Catholic is bound to be married in the church. If a Catholic gets married outside the church, we consider that an invalid marriage because you can get married outside, let's say you're marrying a Jewish person. You have to get a dispensation for that, but you could be married in the synagogue. You'd be married out on the beach uh, if that's what to do it, but you need dispensation from the bishop. And usually a priest will get that for you. But if you get married outside the church, then it's an invalid marriage. Now, what you need to do is get it blessed, and I've done thousands of blessings of marriage, or at least many, many hundreds. Um, maybe I've been 33 years. Yeah, maybe I've done thousands. But again, to 
bless that marriage. Yes, and God can do that. But if two Protestants get married, even by a JP, we consider that a valid marriage, right? So if they become Catholic and they got divorced and remarried, if they were both Protestant when they did that, we consider that valid because they were being married what they, to the truth of what their heart was calling them to at that moment. But Catholics must be married either with the permission or in the Catholic Church by a priest. Hope that helps. I didn't go into all that because uh, it can be very complicated. <laughs> okay. Amy, my family and I have waited four weeks to find out if my five-year-old nephew has bone cancer. Oh, my. Are there certain scapulars or things that would help us to make it through the waiting? Amy, I would put on him and I would, uh, uh, I would wear, uh, put on him a miraculous medal. I mean, and then make a mini novena. Mini novena is, again, we talked about what uh, Mother Teresa Calcutta used to do. And she would sit there and just stop and she'd say, 10 memorares. Remember, I was Grace Virgin Mary. We talked about this last week or two weeks ago. And then nine in petition and one in thanksgiving for the healing. So miraculous metal is called a miraculous metal because many miracles will happen. I give them out whenever I go to a hotel. I always say, thank you for uh, making this. You did a fantastic job. I prayed for you and your intentions this morning. Here is miraculous metal. Our lady will bring you closer to Jesus and will perform many miracles in your life. Have a blessed day. I never sign it, Father Larry. I just want them to know that someone prayed for them and cared for them and gave them a medal. So a miraculous medal. Get one and give it to the child and let him wear it all the time. Our Lady can do great, great things. Never despair. Happy Lent. What about the secular marriage? But the couple converted once God's blessing. Yes, yes. Once you explain how a Catholic can have their marriage blessed by the church if the spouse isn't Christian and does not see it necessary. Can you repeat that, please? It's called a radical sanation. And you have to talk to your pastor about that. And uh, they can do it uh, without, it's, again, it's complicated. But you can talk to your pastor, and it's called a radical sanation if your uh, spouse refuses to participate. It is possible. Okay. Thanks, Heidi. It was great to see you the other day. Doing the Lenten, getting to know Jesus in Matthew 1.24, he had no relations with her until she was, had a son. And named him Jesus. Mary is about uh, had one child, right? What about the until? Again, it's the translation. It was to show that she again had no children. It can go either way, you know. A virgin can go either way until, but it means that she was a virgin when she had that child. Tradition is always held because Protestants believe she had other children. Now, some people believe she had it because Joseph had kids before, you know, but. Tradition has it that she never had sexual intimacy with Joseph because she had taken a vow. And, uh, but again, you could go either way with that, except as a Catholic, because Catholics always look at tradition. So what does the earliest tradition say about Mary? It talks about Mary was virgin when she had Jesus, after she had Jesus, and remained a virgin all her life. Huh? So that's where you get. And again, if you want to uh, take that very thing and put it in Google and say the Catholic Church's stance, you're going to have, uh, especially if you go to catholic.com, uh, Catholic Answers, they have lots of answers that and go into much greater detail than I. But again, you're focusing on other things there, Steve, instead of Jesus. You focused on other things. Just focus on Jesus, <laughs> Steve. Okay. Well, he sure didn't know her during the birth, so who cares? If that's curious, check the Greek. There you go. I am reading the four Gospels for Lent. Perfect. I had something that is really giving marriage issues. I have my in-laws living with me for 20-plus years. We have four children who live in my house as well. Holy cow. My wife has a sister who has two children. They have two-bedroom apartment. I am turning 48 years old and getting so tired of them always here in my house. I feel like I will never have my own house, and it's frustrating. They are 77 years, good health, and able to function just fine. Her sister never wants to keep them. The parents don't want to go. They literally live around the block from me. Ah, the best thing you can do is see them as Jesus and love them as if they were Jesus because they are. I can't find the St. Pio way of the cross booklet. I can't either there, Julie. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Okay. Ryan Family Law Group, you pagan. Hope you and Joe are doing well. We sure are. Thank you. Uh, pray for my conversion and my girlfriend's conversion. Also pray for God bless me with prosperity that I may better care for my family. Just go to Joseph. Don't pray for, uh, don't pray for prosperity. Just pray for God's blessings, okay? Because prosperity can bring you away from God. So just ask God's blessing. You always have enough so you can care for your family. And that's beyond prosperity. So just make sure you do that. Okay. Again, our sister never wants to help. You got to just give this all to God. Chris Walker, I father just started watching. My wife couldn't believe that there are priests that don't believe in the real presence. Of course there are. Also assuming that you know Dave Van Winkle, his wife Amber just died today. I don't know if I know David Van Winkle. Um, I might know him to see him, but again, names I'm not good with. Every generation has its Pharisees. Yes, there are times I want to just leave. I'm sure <laughs> there are. But again, you want to follow Jesus. Uh, and again, in those days, when Jesus was there, the whole family always lived together. In some cultures, the whole family lived together, and they consider that a blessing. Okay, let's go to the questions here. Oh, and this one's from Jennifer Walker, Chris's wife. Every year, it bothers me at the gospel, and Ash Wednesday says to keep our prayer fasting private. Yet we walk all around with ashes. Drives me crazy, too, because the gospel does say that. But again, in most of the world, they don't, put God, they don't put the ashes on your faces. They put it upon the top of their head so you don't see it the same way. But again, it's a sign. It's, a, it's like a priest wearing a collar. This gives uh, witness to people. So when we get the ashes, it gives witness to people that we're sinners saved by grace, saved by the cross of Jesus. But again, we're hopefully, we're pointing to Jesus with the sign of the cross, not pointing towards ourselves. Hope that helps. Okay. When did the Catholic Church stop executing heretics? Is that something a church repented of? It is. Um, John Paul II, I was there when he repented for all the, you know, he actually got up on a, he got up in front of the world and he said, we repent for all the sins we have done because the church has done sins. And there was cardinals and everything saying, no, you can't do that because the church can't sin. And see, that's the kind of stuff that gets us into trouble because even when the church people are sinning, they oh no, I can't, stop it. The church is made up by human beings and us human beings sin. I do, you do, we all do. And because we're members of the church, the church sins, but Christ doesn't sin. But in our humanity, we do, and so we need to repent of that. But yes, I don't know exactly how long, but, you know, we used to, uh, we'd kill people, we'd burn them. I mean, honest to goodness, there's so much we have to repent of. But we did in the name of God. Oh, my. So, anyway, I'll see you in August in Alhambra. Yes, I will be out there, Luis. God willing, and from there I'll do my retreat, and then I'm going to Hawaii, Honolulu, to do a men's conference there and also another one. Okay, I don't recall any clergy performing executions. No, they didn't have to. They had everybody else do it was the problem. It doesn't say Joseph had other children. It says, you know, it talks about in the Bible that the brothers and sisters came. So some people say that, but we don't, we, that can be cousins. Uh, but it could be that Jesus did, I mean, Joseph had, he was older and had other children before he took Mary to be his wife. We do not know. Um, so, but again, what tradition holds is that's why if you ever see Joseph, he's always portrayed as an old man because he might have had that. It could have been his stepbrothers, his sisters. It could have been cousins. They were all called brothers and sisters of Jesus. Again, we're taking scripture in, uh, in the English, but it was Jesus spoken Aramaic. It was translated into Greek and then later into the Latin and later into English. So we're taking translations of translations of translations. You always have to go back to the Greek to find out, and I'm not that person. Father Mitch Pacwa is, if you watch UWTN, Tim Staples and Catholic Answers, they are, they know all that stuff. I'm more of a spirituality and evangelization person. So uh, I'd encourage you to go to them. Anyway, I gotta go. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He was Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray for me, and I'll be praying for you. And God willing, I will see you uh, from Cincinnati next Thursday. God bless you. Have a good week.